Hello once again, Pastor Brown coming to you from Akron, Ohio, Akron Alliance Fellowship. Hope that you've had a wonderful week, a God-bless-filled week, and I pray that the message today might be a blessing unto you. Uh, it's one I've gone over many, many times here this past week or so, um, and how to shorten it, shorten it, get everything in, is what I've been somewhat working on. Let's have prayer and let's get started. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your word. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts and to the hearts of those who might hear this message. May you, O God, be glorified. And may you be the one, O God, who is center stage. And help us, O God, to be a people of the covenant. And help us, O God, to live as people who love your word. Would you bless us now, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Renewing the covenant of God, renewing God's covenant in your heart and in your life, is something that needs to take place. I don't know when the last time that you have prayed to commit God's word as the sole leader of your life, the thing which you're going to be committed to and that you're going to obey and follow his word, his covenant. I don't know when the last time, but I think it's something that all of us, including myself, need to remind ourselves of that we are committed to God's word, to live it, to follow it, to obey what God has asked us to do. Every now and then, as a Christian country, along with the people, somehow we need to reintroduce ourselves to God's covenant, to his word. Because we are a people who drift away from it and quickly forget it within a generation or two. People will know about God in the sense of there's something greater than themselves without really knowing God. And we find this, I think, in Second Chronicles 34.1. Here's Josiah. He is a young king, but not really knowing the God of Israel. And it's amazing what takes place. But it also shows us something. It takes a lifetime to turn people around who have lost the word of God. Who are not aware of the covenant of God. It takes a generation or a lifetime to try to dispel all the wrong that has been taught. And all that they have learned that is not correct. And what we really want to understand here about Josiah, it says that he became king at eight years old. At eight years old. It says in Second Chronicles 34.1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So he reigned until somewhere about 39 years old. If we pick up at the eight-year-old mark, and uh, as he gives us his age as we go through this chapter, we always want to remember that eight-year period, and then the time period in which, excuse me, is added on. And I want you to follow this, because it's so important that we see this young leader, Josiah, And I want to remind you of something that I said earlier. In the Old Testament, it came from the king or from leadership down. In New Testament, Jesus doesn't really take a leadership role. He doesn't come as a Pharisee. He doesn't come as a king. He comes as an ordinary individual. And best way to say that as a carpenter, a son of a carpenter. 
and it goes upward. And in the New Testament, it's the average people down here who raises, in a sense, the thermometer of Christianity. Not so much does it come from top down, but from bottom up. But when the bottom is not doing that, it really is a reflection upon all leadership, including myself. Because somehow we're the one who set the temperature of the hearts of the people for the word of God. And it says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And eight years old, if I can paint a picture of that in a sense or give you some type of example of that, that's a third grader. That's someone who's in third grade at eight years old. A third grader being the president of the United States. A third grader being the governor of Ohio. A third grader is the king of Judah. Now, once you also understand that he had no previous training per se concerning the God of Israel. So therefore, the scripture tells us in this fashion, it says in verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. As a young man, whoever was around him, whoever was teaching him or educating him in this role of being king, took him back to King David. Yes, he's in the line of David. But yet, he knew nothing of David. He is the 16th king away from David. And his father was not an example, was not a godly man, nor was Manasseh, his grandfather, a godly man. Neither one of them really demonstrated to Josiah how to really walk with the Lord or any knowledge about the Lord. And if you read in chapter 33 of Second Chronicles from verse 21 through 25, you will understand that these men were not godly men either. And if you just go back and just trace what they did, for they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he had no example. So whoever God surrounded him with were men who had a consciousness of righteousness and a consciousness of God, but maybe not really knowing God. But they were able to point him as a young king, as an example, all the way back down to David. Within his lineage, look at King David, because he had no example in his father, Amon, or his grandfather, Manasseh. He had no example. And many of us do not have any example sometime in our fathers, our grandfather, or as we look on down in the lineage of our family, there's no one who may have really walked with the Lord. We cannot use their failure as an excuse for us not walking with the Lord or desiring the things of the Lord. And it says something about this young man that is very young. He's eight years old. He's being taught, yes, about a king who walked with the Lord. And he calls him his father, David. He skips over his own father, skips over his grandfather, and like I said, goes all the way back down to David, 16 kings away 
And he says he walks in the ways of his father, David. Now, it picks up again in verse 3. And he's going to tell us this. It says, in the eighth year of his reign. Now he's 16 years old. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young. When's the best time to seek the Lord? To know the Lord? Oh, you don't have to be 60, 70, 80 years old before you come to a knowledge of God. The earlier you start, the better off you are. The younger you are, the more blessings and the more you're going to see God work in your life if you're willing to surrender your life to him at an early, early age. And it says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the Lord. He began to seek the Lord while he was young. So those who were around him, who may not have fully understood, least had a consciousness towards the God that David served. But there was something that was missing. The book. The book, which is going to come up in this chapter. Without the word of God, you can only do the best you can do. And I hear a lot of people say that. I'm doing the best I can do. I want to share something with you. If you get into the word of God, you'll go beyond your best. Because God will take you beyond your best. And you'll be shocked and surprised what God is able to do in your life. And make of your life. I don't care about how bad your life has been. God is able to enrich your life. Not just in money. He enriches your life. In many different ways. Because of his presence. In your life. And this young man began to seek him. At 16 years old. He wanted to know more about his God. He wanted to know more about him. So it says that he began to seek the God of his father David. And look how he just keeps referring back to David, back to David. And that's what David did. So again, I would say he has some excellent teachers around him. Uh, not really knowing in a personal sense the God of Israel. But they had a good sense of history. And they were able to point him to a real man of God in his family, David. David went back 15, 16 other kings, all the way back to David. And he said, of his father David, in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah. Boy. So in the 12th year of his reign, he begins to purge Judah. So you take that 12th year and you put eight with it. He's probably 20 years old. But now he is seeking after God and all these idols and all this false teaching doesn't have any meaning for him. He has lived long enough to know that all this stuff that his father and his grandfather and those before him may have followed really is nothing. There are no gods in his sight. And he doesn't even begin to even look upon them as any type of gods. See, his father, Amon, couldn't share anything about the God of Judah. His grandfather couldn't do it. Both were very ungodly, evil men. He's pointed back to David. And there's a reason for that. For in Second Chronicles 34.21, he simply says, and we're going to go back through this again, but just... Look over at 21, towards the end of that uh, 21st verse. 
And it says, Our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. They had discarded the book. The book has been lost. The Bible is lost. The word of God is lost. And in our generation, we are losing sight of the Bible. Now, we're saying God bless America. And yes, we would all want that to happen. But God will only bless America based on the richness of our faith in his word and the keeping of his word and obeying it. We pass more laws that work against God's will or against biblical principle. And yes, they may be favored as far as the Constitution, but many of our laws today are against what the Word of God says. And somewhere that's going to come around and hurt those who are called Christians. But we are called to be obedient to this word. And hopefully we will see why. Because if we keep putting the word of God at a distance, at a distance, at a distance, and keep ignoring it, we are quickly becoming a people who are also going to have no remembrance of a covenant of God's word of the Bible. And we will be exactly where Josiah was at. Seeking the Lord, but not having that which would really help us. But when you seek the Lord, God will reveal himself to you. In his time, he's going to reveal himself. And it says again, in his Twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. Now he's seeking God, and he begins to purge them of all their high places, their Asher poles, their carved idols, and cast images. He knows all this is just foolishness. And somewhere in your life, you have to say, if you're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, all this other junk is just foolishness. And get to a place where you're going to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything else is just foolishness. Everything else is just something to sidetrack you from really seeking the one and true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says he tore down all these altars of Baalism. He tears them down. He destroys them. This is why yet not having a full understanding of God, but knowing all these idols are not truly God. And he gets rid of all these Asher poles, all these idols, all these false images, and you have to clear out all this foolishness out of your life. You got to clear out what you think about God sometime. In order to get to the real substance of who God is. And the only place you're going to discover that is in God's word. You're not going to find it up here in your own thinking. You're not going to find it in wishful thinking. You're not going to find it in this book and that book. You're going to find it in one book. It's called the word of God. And somewhere you got to clear out all this other stuff. And that's what Josiah is doing. Remember, he's seeking God. And in seeking God, he realized all this other stuff is worthless. And he's getting rid of it. And then when we get into the eighth verse, it says, In the eighteenth year, boy, in his eighteenth year, Joshua Rain to purify the land and the temple. 
in the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and temple. He's seeking the Lord, knowing all this other stuff is wrong. He gets rid of all of it. And then he turns his eyes to the temple. Now remember, his father, his grandfather, and other kings before him had neglected the temple. If we can in this period, if we can, can we say they neglected the church? Can you see America today? Can you see the people of this great country neglecting the church? Neglecting the word of God? Neglecting what many of their forefathers stood on and no longer are looking back of where their forefathers stood on the word of God but have replaced it with something else and we may call it the constitution or something else that has taken this place and today many other writings are fighting to take the place of the word of God even our constitution our laws but he says in the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple now he's dealt with these idols these Asher places all these other things now he got to hit home God's temple and some place in history every now and then God's church has to really look at itself and ask the question, are we staying true to the covenant? Are we staying true to his word? Are we, as a people of God, called by God, doing what God has called us to do? And we have to ask ourselves those questions. If not, we just keep moving along, moving along, moving along, just like Judah did. With no thought of God. It doesn't tell us how many years this took place. But it was long enough that when Josiah came along, eight years old, he had really no idea of the God of Judah. And not until he was 16 did he begin to seek the Lord, to know this God of Judah. And once he began to seek, he began to get rid of all these other things that hindered him from really knowing the one and true God. Zaphan becomes one who really also God sets alongside Josiah to really minister to him. The priest Elkiah becomes one who is working in the temple and he is going to discover something. But as you read from verse 8 all the way down into verse 12 it begins to say something because the temple had to be repaired. It had been neglected for so long, and it was in ruins. But because Josiah began to seek the Lord, it had an effect upon the lives of others. So in verse 12, you're able to hear this little statement. The men did the work faithfully. Now, the men did the work faithfully, I want to suggest to you, they saw at this point a faithful king who was seeking after the one and true God. They saw his faithfulness and what he was doing. And I would be willing to say some of these who were 
faithful workers at one time were at these Asher poles, had their images, were worshiping false god. But because they saw a faithful king seeking after the one and only true God, that somehow it moved them. That speaks volume about leadership. Leadership has to demonstrate faithfulness unto God. Leadership has to demonstrate faithfulness unto God and seeking after God. And when that takes place, people follow also. And you can read from verse 8 all the way down and what begins to happen within the temple, what begins to happen in Judah. We just don't have time with trying to cover this whole chapter, but you will be able to see it for yourself. And then in verse 15, it says something is is discovered. Let me hear a very quick little point. Go back to verse 12, towards, towards the end of it. Because it's so important for us to put this together with church today, if I can. It says in that um, latter part of verse 12, the Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments. I want you to see what it says. They were skilled in playing musical instruments. They were not skilled in everything else, but they were skilled in playing musical instruments. Now, but look in verse 13 now. Had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Now, they were skilled in their music, but yet God used them to supervise men and other jobs. The thing that strikes me about this is this. There's nowhere in scripture says that they moaned and groaned about, that's not my job. My job is playing the trumpet. My job is playing the flute. My job is playing the drums. My job is playing the piano. I'm a musician. I'm not this or that. I'm not a bricklayer. I don't work with steel. I don't do this. No. You didn't hear that. And that's why it says the men did the work faithfully. No matter what their skill may have been, if the job needed to be done, they were willing to do it, even though it was outside of their ability or skill to do it. They were willing to put their hands to the plow and go to work. That's important within the church today. For we got so many people in the church saying what they can't do. And we forget about the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do. And the gifts of God that he gives us that we can function. That anything outside of what I think is my skill or my ability to perform, I say, no, I can't do it. And it hurts the body of Christ. It hurts the body of Christ. I can't do it because I'm not a bishop. I can't do it. I'm not an elder. I I can't do it. I'm not a pastor. I can't do it. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. Yes, you can do it. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you if you allow yourself to be used of God. You can. You can. Stop hurting the church by saying what you can't do. They were skilled musicians, and yet they supervised men in different jobs, from job to jobs. And somehow God gave them the knowledge to know what needed to be done. When you get over into verse 15, something is discovered. And to me, this is God now. When you really seek God, And you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. And you're saying, I want to know him. I want to know him. God will reveal himself to you. God will reveal himself to you. And it's your responsibility to want to know the one and true God. It is your responsibility to seek for him. To allow yourself to be taught of him. 
to put yourself in positions where you're going to be taught. I'm not against having a good time. I'm not against um, things that you can laugh at and, and so forth. But we have made church such a laughing place and such a good time place that is no longer an educational place. And the first responsibility the church has is to teach. To teach the word of God. It's not about you feeling good. Not about you having a good laugh. Not about you coming to church and acting up. It's about you learning something up here that sinks down here and brings out an action a godly action empowered by the Holy Spirit so in 15 something takes place because Josiah I believe kicks this off and starts it when it says boy 16 he began to seek after the Lord so in verse 15 he says Hezekiah said to Shaphat the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Saphat. Now, he found something that had not been used for a couple of generations, had not been read. The people of Judah had not heard this for some time. The book of the law. The covenant of God. And the United States is on that path. Where people are not hearing. The word of God. They're not being taught the word of God. They don't know what the covenant of the word of God. Even means or stands for. When you really seek God, God will reveal himself. And that's what takes place in verse 15 now. After seeing the seriousness of Josiah and tearing down the images, the idols, the Asher poles, and, and beginning to clean up and to prepare this temple that has been neglected so long, God really sees the sincerity of this young man seeking after him. And God allowed Hezekiah. Hilkiah. To discover. This book of the law. That has been set aside. For so long. That in verse 16. He says then. Sephat. Took the book to the king and reported to him your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them they have paid out the money they've done this they've done that then in verse 18 he says then Saphan the secretary informed the king Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Saphan began to read from it in the presence of the king. This is one of the first times. Now here's this young man. 26 years old. Or older. That is first time. Reading the law of God. Hearing the law of God. The covenants being read to him. The covenants being read to him. And it says something takes place in verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robe. He humbled himself. Over in Second Kings, it says he even cried for hearing the word of God. He was so moved by it because he never heard it before. And now he's hearing it for the first time. And he's moved. 
But yet, hearing it, understanding it, can be two different things. And he wants to understand it. He just don't want to hear it. He wants to understand it. And therefore, he assigned the men to go and find out, what does this mean? What does this mean? And he tells Sethe to go to the prophets and let's find out what does this mean? Because he wants to know. Now, in verse 21, he sends them. He says, let me get my eyes straight. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book. I've heard it now, but I need to understand it. Just because you hear God's word does not mean you will fully understand it. You have to keep seeking now. You have to want to know more. And that's Josiah now. He wants to know more. So he sends Sephah and others to go and find out, not just for himself, because he recognized that this is God speaking and this is truth. It's not just for me. It's for all Judah and Jerusalem. It's for all people. And we need to realize that. When we really understand God's word, we understand it's not just for me. It's for everyone. It's for all my family. It's for all my neighbors. It's for all my friends. It's for all my co-workers. It's for everyone, not just me. And he says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book. Is that important? That we really understand it. That has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. And he all of a sudden recognized why they had not had this. It's because of our fathers. It came before us. Why didn't they have it? Why didn't they have this knowledge? Why didn't they have understanding? Why didn't they tell us? Why didn't they read it to us? And in some of our families in America, we have taken the Bible, we have closed it up, we set it on a shelf as a decoration, but the family never opens this up. A husband and wife never reads out of this word. A father never reads from this word to his children. He never tells them about the God that, yeah, he has little knowledge of, but don't know really, maybe. And that's the failure of the church and those in the church that they, that they have set this book to the side rather than taking this word and hiding it in their hearts that it may come out of their mouths to their generation of their children, the first, second, and third, and fourth generation of God gives them long life. That their children may hear, but their children may also read with them from this book. And he says, go and find out. Go and inquire that I might have understanding. And in verse 22, they go to this prophetess, Harda. And Harda is going to explain to them what is being said in this book concerning them. And I want you to remember something. This is 
years and years and years before because this is back at Moses' time, but she's going to explain from the word of God what is happening to them and what is going to happen to them because they have not taken heed to the word of God. Written many, many years ago, but still very true. Very, very true to the very time in which they are living. And all that shares with them what's going to take place. And you can read that from verse 22 all the way up through 24. And he then he shows forth the promise that he's going to make to Josiah, that he's going to allow Josiah. Your eyes will not see all the disaster. It didn't say here he'll miss it all. There's going to be some, but you won't experience it all. In verse 28, your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. But you're going to see some of it. And he also promised him that he will allow him to die in peace. In peace. In peace. Now, she tells them from 24 to 28 what's going to happen. But what I want you to take note of now, and this is so important. After Josiah hears back from those men the action that he takes, you hear the word, then you get understanding of the word, then you take action upon the word. You hear the word, understand the word, take action upon the word. And what you want to look at is the action that Josiah takes and He's no longer this 16-year-old boy just seeking after God. He knew that there was more than just images and idols. He wanted to know the one and true God. My question to you, do you really want to know the one and true God? Are you willing to forsake all the other foolishness in order to really know Jesus Christ? Are you willing to sit and hear the Word of God and seek the understanding of the Word of God that you might truly understand and because now you understand to take the right action? that is needed for you to discover the true will of God in your life. See, when you truly understand God's word, it causes an action to take place. And that action is the will of God that takes place in your life. But it's because of the word of God that somehow puts a fire up under you. It's it's something that ignites you. It's something that allows you, in a sense, to take off in a new and different direction. That is God's will for your life. And Josiah does something in that fashion. Because he heard the word, sent to get understanding of the word, got it back, and he was able to understand what was taking place. Now look at the action that he's going to take. In verse 29, it says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites. All the people from the least to the greatest. Look at all that he's gathering now, that he has understanding. Look at the action that's taking place. He calls forth the elders, the priests, the Levites. 
He caused the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, men, women, children, separate from the men, but I believe everybody's included in this. And then he says, from the least to the greatest, from the poorest to the richest, from the less educated to the most educated. He's calling all these people. And he's calling them together for one purpose. And let's look at this purpose. All the people from the least to the greatest, in verse 29, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. I want you to look at something here now. It moves from being the book of the law to the book of the covenant. God's covenant with his people. Not just a law. But this contract, this covenant between God and his people that they had not heard for some time. And that's one of the things that has to take place. People have to renew this covenant. Every now and then, at least once a year, I go through my insurance policies and I kind of like read back through them just to refresh my mind on what they say. And then Elaine and I, we also talk about it. Uh, I, I go over certain other things that I think that are important just to remind myself of them and to share it with her and then also share it with my kids in case something happened to me that they have knowledge of it. And if I do that with simple little insurance policies, investment policies, different things that I have out here, if I do that with those things, how important is it for me to do it with the Word of God? With my wife and with my children. Which is more important? Which one would really enrich their life more? This Word of God or what little I might leave them? And I believe it would be this Word of God. Not what I would leave them. But this word would enrich their life so much more than what I could ever leave them. Because whatever I leave them is only temporal. This is eternal. And he called all these people together that they might hear the word of God. And he said, he read in their hearing all the word of the book of the covenant, which have been found in the temple of the Lord. Where was it found at? People, where you find God's word at, really find God's word, the richness of that word, should be in the church, should be in the temple. Bible studies are, are good, and, and all the other studies are good, and they're rich, and they're needed. But the place where we should discover the real richness of God's word is in his church amongst his people seeking him wanting to know him and I think we're losing that in the church that is most important thing in the church today sometimes is not the word of God it's men's day it's women's day it's usher's day it's this day it's that day it's anniversary day we got to get back to what is the main thing. And the main thing is God's word. Not all these other things that get in the way of it. But his word. That's what the people need to hear. And that's what Josiah recognized. What misled the people in all these idols and images and all these other things that they had was that they were not hearing or being taught the word of God. And he brings them all together and shares with them this word of God that has been rediscovered in the temple. And then it says he did something else. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. 
he renewed the covenant? From God's perspective, from God's side, the covenant was still the covenant. How do we know that? Over the punishment, over what was going to take place. God was keeping his word. What Josiah recognizes is not God who broke the covenant, as the word tells us, but it's the people. We are the breakers of God's covenant. We are the breakers of God's word. Sin is nothing but a breaking of God's word. A transaction against God's word. A transgression against his commands. We break them. I break them. You break them. And we need to renew. And we need to somehow, in our own prayer closet, or with our families, or with other men, in our Bible studies, or within our church, we need to find a time to renew the covenant. What is it in renewing the covenant? Let's let's just look what Josiah is asking the people to do. Because it would be the same thing that you and I must do. And we have to want to understand it. It says, The king stood by the pillars and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. In verse 31. To follow the Lord. You put yourself in the presence of God. And you commit yourself to following him. Scripture tells us to obey the law of the Lamb. But when the law of the land goes contrary to his word, that's where I have to stop following the law of the land. And there may be consequences with that. But I'm committed to following him. Not the Constitution, not the laws of the land. Him first. Are you committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ first? Now, I'm not talking about taking up some arms against some other religion. I'm not talking about going out, harming someone, doing something reckless. He tells us sometimes we have to suffer for righteousness sake. And we're willing to suffer in doing what is right. And he says, one, to follow the Lord. Two, keep his commands and regulations and decrees. Very simple, keeping his word. Going to follow him. Secondly, I'm going to keep his words. Thirdly, with all his heart and his soul. And to obey the word. Thirdly, obey the words. To obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Have you rededicated yourself to following this word of God? Sometimes we can get so relaxed and we sit into our Christianity and we're Christian and we call ourselves a Christian. Well, where's the real dedication? When's the last time you have renewed, in a sense, your commitment to the Lord and to his covenant? And that's what Josiah is doing. Having the people recommit themselves to that which had been lost and they have not yet 
heard it for some time, did not have understanding of it, and now they are recommitting themselves to the God of Judah, to his word, to his covenant, doing his will. To obey the words of the covenant written in his book. Catch verse 32 now as we begin to close here. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. How do you get a crowd of people to pledge themselves? Just Josiah couldn't have done that. He put forth the action, yes. But God is the one who has to move upon the hearts of people. That they would pledge to him that they're going to follow him, obey him. And keep his word. God has to move in such a way upon a mass of people here in our country who are willing to renew the covenant with God in keeping his word, in obeying him, and believing in this covenant that we have with God. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves. Would you pledge yourself to this covenant, to the word of God? Would you renew it? If you've been a Christian for some time, would you take tonight maybe or sometime during this day or after you hear this message and you and the Lord just get alone and renew the covenant with him that you're going to follow him that you're going to keep his covenant and you're going to obey it. You have to renew that sometime. We talk about renewing our marriage vows. What's the purpose of that? Just think about it for a moment. You renew your marriage vows. Some people do it every 10, 15 years. Some do it 25 years if they stay married that long. But it's a renewal. It's a renewal of dedication to one another. When's the last time we rededicated ourselves to the Lord? Because we can become a people so quickly that somehow we begin to ignore that which is truly important, our relationship with Jesus. We ignore the real covenant that has been made with us by the blood of Jesus, this new covenant. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you to read back over this chapter 34 because we moved through it pretty quickly. But to see the progress of Josiah as he sought after the Lord and the things that he did. And then to see how God came into the picture through his word. And how Josiah then responded to God's word. And because he responded to God's word, there was a renewal in his heart of this covenant with his God, the God of Judah. Would you seek to renew such a covenant? in your heart with the God who has given you eternal salvation 
And if you never stepped into a covenant with God, it begins with accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're the one who has to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for transgressing your word, for going against your word, not believing your word, living contrary to your word. And come into my heart and reveal yourself to me. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. God's willing to meet you wherever you are. If you're willing to seek after him and seek understanding of his word to you, God will reveal himself to you in amazing ways. So I want to encourage you to do that. Each person had to make a choice to stand up with their own pledge to renew the covenant. I can't make that choice for you. Nobody can. Mom, dad, grandma. Nobody can make that choice for you. But you can stand up and speak up and confess up and accept all that the Lord has for you in Jesus Christ. God bless you. God keep you. This is our last message on this area of the covenant. But I pray as we've gone through this, those of you who have stayed with it, that it's been a blessing to you, that somehow it enriched your life. And I pray that this book, this word of God, would richly, richly bless you as you believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.